They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. And they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have the power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, which also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each, each other gifts because the, these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of the life of God entered them. And they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from the heavens say, saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. All right. You got to love earthquakes. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, today that we uh, get such an interesting passage um, to talk about, uh, which is uh, terrifying and exciting all at the same time. I just pray that you would uh, allow our hearts to be open to whatever it is that you uh, need us to hear in kind of just a weird, convoluted passage and uh, that you would open us up and you would move us in the way that you want to move us and uh, that we would just be better off after coming here today. So Father, we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen. This is uh, kind of crazy. It's the last uh, service that we're going to have for 2017 and we are ending off with this. Uh, if, if you think whatever she read uh, was crazy, it gets way crazier. It gets, it, it's, it's insane. And uh, so for the, for the last service, 2017, we get to talk about judgment. Yep. You know, just kind of getting us in the Christmas spirit is what I felt we should do. <laughs> Advent calendars. Jesus, judgment. Okay, uh, so if you guys got Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter eight. Uh, what I want us to do is I want to kind of recap a bit of what we have been going through. So the very first week, we kind of dissected a bunch of numbers. We went through chapter one, um, a bit of it, and kind of talked about the general, what is Revelation, how do you read it, how do you go about it? Um, that was that. Chapters two and three were Jesus sending seven letters, which is a very significant number, to seven different churches. And those seven different churches were referred to as the seven lampstands. So seven churches, seven lampstands, that's chapters two and three. Four and five, hopefully this is just kind of just bringing back stuff that you have already thought of and uh, heard about. Four and five is the throne, right? You got that throne scene, you got the lamb, but he heard a lion and it was that whole shebang. That was those weeks. And then the last week, what we did is we talked about seven seals. 
that we're on this scroll and everyone's crying and like no one's gonna open this thing. And it says, no, the Lion of Judah, this slain lamb opens it up. And we kind of talked about evil in the world and how prayer is the thing that moves history more so than anything else that we could possibly imagine prayer, which is kind of a crazy, interesting thing for us. And thus we get to this. Seven churches, seven lampstands, seven seals. And now we are on to our next Seven. The next seven that we're going to go through actually takes up three chapters in a bit. Um, and these are the seven trumpets. So after the seven seals are opened up, and if you are new to this, and if all of what I'm saying right now is nonsense, this is an apocalyptic poem. It's basically a poem on crack, and it will blow your mind. It's like having a weird dream. And, uh, and that's what he's trying to explore and say a bunch of things that are kind of past our realm of understanding. So he uses this weird imagery. He talks about a lot of crazy stuff and we're just trying to unpack it together as a group. That's what we're doing. So chapter eight, verse six, this is what it says. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. So the first trumpet kind of goes and it's this immediate thing that happens to the earth. Now a trumpet's a really weird instrument, right? Because a trumpet... Uh, signifies kind of two things for whatever side of the trumpet you are on. Imagine you're in Lord of the Rings, right? So you got a trumpet, you're on a horse, you go, um, whatever, <laughs> that's not a, tr- I don't know what that is. Uh, it's like a happy clown. Uh, anyway, so you're going and you're moving with uh, that noise. And for one side, uh, that's either like, this is the bomb. Like we're about to win. We're gonna take over this other castle. Come on. And everyone's getting hype, right? For the other guys, what does the trumpet? It's like, all right, it's over, we're done. It's like this horrifying sound that they begin to hear. And it all depends on which side of the line you are, which side of the horn or which side of the trumpet or which side of the weird clown noise. Like whatever side you are on depends on your perspective of the trumpet. We're gonna get seven different trumpets, all relaying off different things. You remember the symbolism isn't really important in terms of its literalness. It's not about grass. It's not about earthquakes. It's not about hail. It's not about, it's this something underneath it that's trying to be explained. Perspective is the very thing that you have to have when you're reading through all of this, especially chapter eight and chapter nine. It's perspective. Perspective goes a long way. Perspective changes everything about how you live life and the way that you interpret different situations. I remember, and I've told you this story a million times about how when I was six years old, I got locked into a room because my cousins locked me in this bedroom and forced me to watch Chucky, right? Which is like a killer little doll and it like murders people and throws grenades. It's a whole thing, don't watch it. I watched it when I was six and I was like horrified. Like I had to like sleep with my head next to the wall and the bed and there's like a little opening and I had my face in there. Like I was, it was a whole nother level, right? I was terrified of this thing. And I'm like six years old, right? I had to get my mom to pray for me for like protection from like dolls. It was messed up. Anyways, and that was my whole thing. And then a couple of years ago, thinking back to this moment of this stupid Chucky doll and I go like, you know what, screw this, man. I'm gonna get Netflix and I'm gonna watch it, okay? I'm like, I'm 22. I need to figure this out, okay? I can't have this looming over me. And so I put it on and it's crazy what time does, you know? And just a bit of thought. 
I'm like, it's a killer, it's a killer doll. I thought to myself, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a 22-year-old man. I'm physically imposing. And uh, I heard laughter in the back. And, uh, and this doll's walking up to me with a knife, all right? What do you do in this moment? Right, that thing's gone. Like, you don't gotta worry. Why did nobody in the two hours of that movie just ever think to kick the thing, right? Like, it's so, it's a doll. It's like a Barbie walking up to you going, I'm gonna kill, no, you're not. Okay, you're a Barbie, shut up, right? That's the only thing that's gonna happen. So now, like, 16 years later and more time invested in more thought, the perspective about that thing completely shifted. The same thing happens in reverse. You go from something that was terrifying and scary to now it's rudimentary and silly to something that was super lame when you were younger. And then when you get older, it's like, this is dope, right? Uh, One of those things was, uh, for me, when I was younger, The Prince of Egypt. That movie, man, when I was like, however old when that movie came out, my mom went went through like a bunch of weird phases of like parenting. And one of them was only Christian movies, right? So she stuck that for like a week. And she just basically just rammed Prince of Egypt down my throat. I watched the movie like seven times in a row. And I'm like, can we never watch this movie again? Like, what even is, like, let's just get some Power Rangers on. Like, let's, we're gonna have a better time, right? Hated that stupid movie. And then I remember like 10 years go by, somebody puts on the Prince of Egypt. Man, after I watched the movie, I was so hype after that movie. I was like, come on, right? Like Moses kills a dude, there's like a snake. To, from, a, from a thing, kills another snake, and like God shows up, right? And it's like, this is, this is legit. And I'm like hype after watching this movie. And this thing that I thought was so stupid before, now because of perspective in a different time and whatever, it's completely changed for me. Perspective is the very thing that I see the exact same thing that's always been there. It has never changed. I changed because of the way that I saw it because of the time given to it. That's kind of what this is. It's perspective. It's a shift. It's all of these trumpets signifying justice is finally going to come. And what we're going to read is going to hit us in such a way that we're not going to like it because it says something to us in a way that's like, uh, I, don't, I don't really know. We have to take it for what it is. We have to read it. And we have to see if we can gain just maybe a bit of perspective So the first trumpet goes, earth is burned up, hail, fire, all begins to fall down. And then the second angel goes. He blows his trumpet, verse eight, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. Now I want you to kind of pick up on some of the imagery and I want you to think of all of these numbers that begin to come out for a second. So a third of the living creatures in the sea died. Oh, sorry, yeah. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, verse nine, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, the third angel blew his trumpet, another son of justice, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light may be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise, a third of the nights. And then what we begin to have, and it works exactly the same way. It's written exactly the same way as the seven seals were. The first four go, and they have everything to do about the earth. It's all about earth stuff. 
And then there's this weird, awkward kind of pause break, which is what we get now. Then I looked and I heard an angel crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember the repetition of three things? Whoa, whoa, whoa. To those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So four things about earth go, and then this weird pause moment that's kind of like, why is this here? And then you get five and six, and then this really long interlude, and then you have seven at the end. That's how this whole thing works out. Number nine, the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit from the shaft of smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun of the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Um, verse seven, in appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. Uh, skip down to verse 11. They have as a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon, which uh, means the destroyer, which is what it is in uh, English. Verse 12, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. 13, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. These four angels are holding back water and there's all of this different stuff. And so now I'm reading all of this to you and you're super bored and you're like, what's happening? Why are you reading? Stop reading, what's going on? It's crazy. This whole thing's nuts. Because it's talking about something that we really do not like. It's, 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 it's judgment and it's justice. And for some of us, and for a lot of us, justice is something that we try to hide from. We don't want to really hear about it. We don't really want to do anything about it because sometimes we're going to feel like we're on the other side. We try to move a deaf ear because we kind of feel like for ourselves, there are things that we have done that deserves justice or judgment, and we don't really want to be a part of that. And this is very interesting because all of the events that have happened so far of this judgment, who is the one who is playing the judge? God is. God is the one who is playing the judge. He is the one in control. He is the one who is doing something. First point. Remember, perspective, it's all about how you see something. You have all these crazy trumpet things, all of these weird and random nonsense things happening. What is going on? Take a step back. You're John, and you're writing to a bunch of people. You're writing to a bunch of people who are being oppressed by a bunch of other people who want to kill them, who are making them do stuff they don't want to do, who are murdering them on sight because of their beliefs. And all of these people are going, God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to save us? When are you going to release us from all of this nonsense going on? So John is kind of sitting there going, how do I encourage them? How do I encourage them? How do I bring certain things up that will make them? Oh, there's a people who are being oppressed who need saving. I know a story like that, don't I? What's that story? The Prince of Egypt. And what does he begin to do? What are all the different references that he begins to talk about? He talks about hail. He talks about locusts. He talks about the sky is darkening. He's talking about water turning into blood. 
He is talking about angels holding back walls of water and letting them go on the chariots of the enemy. And it all makes sense, doesn't it? All John is doing is he's retelling the prince of Egypt to these people. And he's saying to them, listen, you've been in this spot before. And look at what he did. You've been in this spot before where everything around you was nonsense and he kept you in. But once again, it's all about which side of the trumpet you are on. Are you obedient? Are you disobedient? Are you faithful? Are you unfaithful? Who do you see this God as? Do you see him as Lord, as Savior, as judge, or just a friendly teacher, or someone who's kind of cool, but over there, and I'm gonna keep it at arm's length, and what is your perspective? Which side of the trumpet are you on? These judgments are not for one side of the trumpet, and how do you know you are that? I gave this illustration last night at, uh, at LEAD. We have a group of students who go through theology and leadership and all of this stuff, and randomly this thing came to mind, and I think it also applies to this. Which side of the trumpet are you on? So for some of us, we have a really weird relationship with Jesus. We're kind of up and down. We go through ebbs and flows. We, it kind of depends on the circumstances happening at that time, and you're like, man, and we, and we, we, we talk about faith as if it's kind of like a, like a, like a bar, you know, like, ah, oh, you know what? Like I'm doing really well right now. And like, my faith is like really, really good. And then something happens and it's like, you know what? I'm not doing too good. Or like, I'm just really, my faith is not strong. Right. And we kind of talk about it as an up and down. Or sometimes you go and talk to someone, you're going like, Hey, um, are you going to church? Or like, are you a Christian? And they're like, man, I'm trying to be <laughs> trying. And you're like, Oh, you're weird. Okay. And you walk away or whatever trying to be. Do you, you follow Jesus? Well, you know, I'm, I'm aching to do that. Like, what is going on, right? I think at times what we have to have the distinction of is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you actually believe in him fully in, in, in all things, there is no, I'm less of a Christian than you are, I'm more of a Christian than you are. It's either you're in or you're out. That's it. That is the only distinction. Do you love him or do you not? If you say you do, you are on the same playing field as everybody else who says that they do. That's it. There is no, I'm less of a Christian, more of a Christian. You are a Christian or you are not. That is it. That's the final thing. And how do you know that you're there? That's the illustration. Uh, imagine this Exodus story. One of the Exodus things that happens in the plagues, this idea of a Passover where God says to his people, hey, listen, um, what I want you to do is I want you to kill a sheep. I want you to get its blood and put it over the door frame of your door, okay? And uh, if you do that, you're all good to go. Nothing's gonna happen to you. So just do that and, and you're fine, okay? So, uh, so these two dudes are like, okay, uh, Moses told us to kill this lamb. Uh, okay, which one do you wanna get? Um, I, don't, I, I like mine, so let's, let's, let's kill yours. Okay, uh, we're gonna go kill that one. So these two guys go and they kill this lamb, they get his blood or whatever, on a weird sight. And uh, they grab a bunch of paintbrushes because I'm assuming like that's what they're gonna use or like their hands, I don't know. So they grab the, the paintbrushes and 
They start writing on the doorpost or whatever. They start putting the, the blood on there and, and they're talking to one another. And the one guy says to the other one, and he goes, uh, man, this is, this is kind of intense, right? <laughs> Remember yesterday? Like the, it was all dark the whole day. It's really, really weird nowadays what's happening, right? Like this is it's kind of a scary moment. The other guy's just, yep, but God's good, man. He is faithful in all things. The Lord liveth, right? And this guy's like, what? I don't know, man. Like, we're in Egypt. They got a lot of dudes who kill people. Like, they got a lot of guys. Like, they'll, I'm, I may look tough. I'm not tough. They're, they're gonna kill me, right? And, uh, and this is a scare. I don't know if God's really gonna pull this one through. And this guy's, God will always pull this through. He is the Lord Almighty. Do not doubt. And uh, <laughs> this is, anyway, so he goes, I'm, I'm doubting, bro. Like, I don't know. Like, this is a scary moment we're in, right? Like, i I got really small, le- I can't run that fast. Like this is, this is a, it's a big day today. Wow, this is so much blood. And there's so much, you know, it's like a big, this is crazy. We go on the conversation over and over and over again. Now here's, here's the question we have to pose. Which one of those two men is faithful? Which one of those two men really believe in God? They both do. One's filled with confidence. One's saying, don't doubt. This guy's having a hissy fit. He's freaking out, right? And yet, what were they both doing? They were both painting the door. God told them to paint the door. And regardless of the doubts, and regardless of the freakouts and regards of the, uh, and re- like, take away all of the ebbs and flows. He was painting the door. So which side of the trumpet is he on? Are they both on? Are you on? Now this is a couple of different things because it, it really shows us our place in this. Which side are we really on? Do we love him? Do we not? If we love him, then there's certain things that gotta be shown, like love. That's kind of the biggest thing. If your life does not show love, it kind of shows you which side of the horn you are on. And the other thing is that in all of these judgments, who is the judge? He is, not us. And yet in all of our lives, how often do we wanna play that? We wanna be the judge. We wanna take control. We wanna do the things because this is how we feel about a certain subject. Right, if you just talked gossip about me, and I'm hearing this from a friend of a friend of a friend about what you said, what's my natural response? My natural response is to say something even worse about you maybe. Or maybe you have done something to me and so I'm gonna try to as much as I possibly can just destroy your reputation or, or what everybody thinks about you because that's my way of getting what I want. That's my revenge. That's my justice. Or what about anger, frustration, violence? We, we know that this is an actual thing. I, I remember uh, seventh grade French class. I don't, for no reason, my French teacher got us to play baseball. I don't know. You learn French when you play baseball, I guess. And... Uh, 
we go out there and every single day we play the same game and, and I always took, um, I know nothing about baseball, right? I, I was horrible at it. And I didn't know anything about French. And he's like, you know, you're supposed to say, uh, I'm gonna pitch in French and I'm gonna hit the ball in French and I'm gonna run in French. And the whole time I just kept on yelling out bonhomme de neige, which is like snowman, because that's literally the only word I know. And I kept on doing that the whole time through. And when we're playing baseball, I, I wanted to hold one position and one position only. I didn't know why, I didn't know the positions. I don't know anything about baseball, but I was gonna be the catcher. Why? Because the catcher got to put cool stuff on, right? And I love the Ninja Turtles. And so I kind of felt like that was a thing. So. I all of a sudden was putting this stuff on. You know, every single day we were playing French or whatever, playing baseball. And uh, one day, you know, I came out a bit later than everybody else and I get to the field and there's this, uh, there's this kid named Alex. Uh, he's, like a, he's like a ginormo, like uh, Vietnamese kid. And I'm like, uh, hey, uh, Alex, what you doing? He's like, I'm gonna catch. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. It's, it's kind of my kingdom, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch it. Alex, oh, buddy, I don't know if you heard. Bonhomme Dinesh, right? So I'm gonna catch, that's what I'm gonna do. And he said, no. And I said, this is defiant in the kingdom. And so I did what the only thing I knew to do at that point, uh, which is to tackle him in that moment and uh, to proceed to punch him as much as I possibly could. And uh, which is interesting because it didn't really hurt him because he was wearing all the protective gear, right? So I'm on top of him just giving her and he's like, this is quite soothing. Can you go down? You know, like it's, it was not, a, I, I wasn't very, it wasn't like, I didn't even get in trouble for it because of how not hurt he was. Anyways. In that moment, that's, that's what I think of, of justice. Who's, who's, who's playing judge? I am. I'm playing judge. And one of the ones that we kind of uh, undergird and never really talk about, which is so interesting because of how this pushes back on us, one of the instances of you trying to play judge, of you trying to get your own justice, not letting him do the work he is trying to do, Jesus talks about this a lot, is unforgiveness. Is that you at some point have someone do something to you that you in your mind say, I'm going to hold this over you as long as I possibly can to make you feel horrible and me better. How messed up is that? You don't hold things because we think that's gonna be a good thing for all of us. No, we hold things because we want them to suffer. And who's in control? I'm in control. So you actually begin to realize what forgiveness is and it's like you open the prison cell door and you're actually the one that walks out. Trying to play the judge. What this tells us is justice. Justice is not a bad thing. Justice is exactly what's needed. Justice tells us something about God. Justice does not tell us that God does not care. Justice tells us that he cares. 
Justice tells us that God cares about every single action and who we are as individuals. Justice tells us that God is very serious about evil and the things that are happening in the world because evil is such an interesting thing. When someone talks smack about you or talks behind your back and you respond in a way that is exactly the same thing, evil's only intention is to multiply itself and it wins, that's it. If I swear at you, you swear at me, who wins? Neither of us, evil does. And every single action is just a multiplication over and over and over and over again of you doing something and them doing something. And it's just this ripple effect over and over and over. And evil just begets evil. Evil just gives birth to more and more evil. And when we look to ourselves and we go, how often have I been caught in that loop? And you think about judgment now, you begin to be more and more afraid. But that was the whole point of why we're even here in this moment. Which side of the horn are you on? Which side of the trumpet are you on? Because every single one of us understands we should be on that side of the trumpet, not with God at all. And yet some event has happened that in the midst of us creating evil after evil after evil, he says to us, I still want you anyways. And at the end of this, without us even knowing how or why or what's going on, we find ourselves on the other side of the trumpet in just awe. And the only sense that we have is worship. And that's exactly what's been going on. Evil is a terrifying thing. And there's so many events that happen in the world all the time, over and over and over again, that just multiplies this into our head. And we go, it just makes us feel something like, this is not right. This is not, like a shooting happens and it should tell you, man, this is not right. Or the fact that this, this explosion happens at this gas hub in Austria. And now there's a state of emergency all through Europe and you go, man, like there's something to this that's not okay. That's all it's trying to say over and over and over to you, these crazy historical, like something is off here. Something is wrong. Where you begin to question everything you thought you did. Right, if, if death is so natural to us, if death is exactly just how the world goes, then why do we go to a funeral and why do we see a dead body and we go, there's something, there's something wrong with that image. There's something off, like it's, it seems like that's not right. If it's natural and that's exactly what happens to, like why does that seem wrong? And yet it does for every single one of us. That same idea. You're cussing out your friend, you're seeing violence on TV, a shooting at a school, all of this is evil, be getting evil over and over again. There's a, a writer named Nancy Gibbs, and she writes for the New York Times, and she wrote an article after this uh, shooting at a school, uh, which was famous in 1999, called Columbine, and, uh, and this is what she wrote about that event. All eyes fell first on the killers, and the questions we can either avoid nor answer, the talk show rituals of absolution, blame the culture, 
the parents, the guns, the video games left too much unresolved for those inclined to declare that the boys were simply deeply wicked. But for those with an eye towards larger battles, the killers were not themselves evil. They were instruments of it. The dark forest we met in Narnia and try not to think about once we grow up until the day we had no choice. Until the day we had no choice. They themselves were not evil. They were just the instruments of it. Multiplying the evil that was done to them unto others. So where does this leave us? As the church, as people who love Jesus, how do we handle this whole conversation, this subject? Like, what do we, what do, we do about this? If we skip to chapter 11, we get the picture of what begins to happen. And it's exactly what was read. Verse 11, or chapter 11, verse one. Then I was given a measuring rod, like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God. This exact same situation happens in Zechariah 2, where an angel is walking through Jerusalem with a measuring stick and is asked, what are you doing? And it's saying, I'm measuring Jerusalem. It's kind of measuring the people of God, the temple. That's what it's talking about, the temple. The temple back then was a building. The temple now, as it says in 1 Corinthians, is you. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you are now the temple of the living God here today. The temple is what is coming together. For it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Verse 3, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and what? The two, verse four, lampstands. Lampstands? We just, what the heck's a lampstand? Well, we already learned this. The two lampstands are the churches. And so these two lampstands, these two churches are to be a witness, a witness to all of the people around them. Verse five, and if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Now that doesn't make any sense. Does the church have power to turn water into blood? No, that's crazy. Does the church have power to, to spit fire out of its mouth? Well, like, sometimes when I'm, pre I'm just kidding. Anyways, that didn't go over well. Okay. Does the church have, have the power to, to, to shoot fireballs out of its mouth? No. What is this trying to say? What is the whole point of all of this? It's saying, out of all of the judgments, out of all of the things the thing that has the most power of judgment and conviction of all things is not the hailstorms, it's not the earthquakes, it's not the floods, it's not the locusts, it's a church member with a friend from school proclaiming the gospel in such a way that they can finally understand. What is greater and all of the plagues, it says right here, verse eight, that they have the power to shut the sky, 
that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, prophesying, preaching, to speak to someone the words that God has given to you. That's what it's saying. That in the end of all of these things, God is saying something to us. And it's exactly what happened in the trumpets. Now let's try to connect this all together. Let's finish this off and be encouraged just a little bit. All through the trumpets, we read it, right? I told you guys, keep your eyes focused, your ears, uh, whatever ears do, and just listen and remember and all of that stuff. And what was the number? What was the thing that always came up as we went through? Uh, Verse nine, a third of the living creatures in the sea and a third of the ships were destroyed, a third of the rivers on the springs and a third of the waters became wormwood, a third of the moon, a third of the stars and a third of their light may be darkened over and over again. And all seven of these trumpet symbols, all of the judgments that happen to all people, it just says a third, a third, a third, a third, why? Why? Why does it have six that say a third and then the seventh judgment is people proclaiming the gospel? That seems weird, doesn't it? Numbers don't really matter in terms of their literalness. Is the Bible trying to say that a third of the earth is gonna burn up? No. Is it saying the third of the moon is gonna disappear and fly away? No, that's not what it's saying. What is a third? Well, the Bible's only point here is a third is not a whole. It's a third. It's incomplete. If there are seven symbols of judgment, seven is the number of completeness, of wholeness. But all the judgments are only happening at a third of the pace, which means that none of the judgments are complete. Nothing is really happening. Nothing's really finished. Nothing's really total at all. Why? Why is God not just sending all of the judgment, all of the evils being destroyed? Why isn't he just ending all of it now? Why is he only going a part way through? Only a third. Why is he doing that? There's a guy by the name of Michael Wilcock, who's a scholar. Oh, drop my book. Uh, He is a brilliant guy. And... uh, he gives us a beautiful picture as to why this may be the case. So what he says, the seals, the thing that we just learned about last week, show the suffering church pleading for justice to be done. But the trumpets show the wicked world being offered mercy. The offer is not accepted and the world will not in fact repent, but it Let it never be said that God has not done all in his power, even to the devastation of his own perfect earth, in order to bring men and women to their senses. Why does he only go a third way through? Why does he never really kind of finish off the judgment that actually is deserved? Because he's still trying to give people a chance. He's still trying to let them figure it out. He's still trying above all things and all the craziness that we see in our world day after day. Fathers abandoning their kids, wars being started over resources, killings and mass shootings and theft 
and greed, where it destroys the economy of the whole world. All of these things that happen and are so normalized to us day after day after day. They happen over and over and over. And when we try to be judged, we don't forgive people for those kinds of things. And when God is judged through all of it, what does he try to do? He still tries to win them to himself. And the most powerful measure to which he tries to bring people to himself is your words. Is your words. The only reason why the trumpets even start is because the last seal was a prayer. That last prayer started this whole thing off. And the last judgment are your words. God is asking every single one of you to be a part of him ruling this world. Not with violence, not with aggression, not with manipulation. With love, with prayer, and an honest heart that just wants people to be on this side of the trumpet. He's asking you to be a mediator for people who have no mediator. To be the kind of individual who stands in between them and the all-living God. That you have a chance to offer someone one invitation away from meeting the greatest individual who's ever lived and will ever live. Who has done something for them that you could never possibly imagine. And the way that God wants to save people because there is no other way that any human being in the Bible is saved other than through a human medium. That God's only offer for you, God's only responsibility to you is that if we look at the people in the world and we go, they are dead to spiritual things. If we look at people in the world and we go, they're corrupt at times, they do evil. Can you overcome evil with your words? No. Can you bring dead things to life? No. But what is he asking you to do? That very thing that you would have the guts, that you would have the courage, that you would actually go to someone and say, this is not about me. Listen, if all we believe that the Christian life is all about is just getting over watching stuff on our phone or stop swearing or stop watching so-and-so TV show, we do not understand the task that the Bible has given to us. It is not for you to get over your own little tiny problem. It's for you to go and have a mission in your life to save people who are far from him. What is greater with conviction than any plague in the world? Your words, your witness, Not that you go and say some elaborate, beautiful thing because you're so good at talking. No. What does a witness do? They just talk about what happened. And what are you witnessing about? The one and only, the greatest who was and is and who is to come. Jesus himself. That's who you are talking about. What is the greatest thing that you can do for someone? That you are open and honest And with all the power in the world, share the witness of you and Jesus. And God says very clearly, there is no stronger conviction than that thing. Hailstorm, 
waters colliding, earthquakes, thunder, none of those come close to the words of the church. This is you. It's your responsibility. It's our responsibility together to push one another and encourage one another to go just forget about you for a second. Stop just thinking about you and your sin life and maybe some of your relationships and think for a second. You're in. They're not. What's really more important here? That's the whole point. So let me pray. We can head back into worship. Father, we thank you. That you would move in our hearts in such a way that you would allow us to be others interested more so than just self-seeking. That our goal here in life as the church is not just to look inward in ourselves and say, how do we just become a better person? How do I just make myself less bad? Now the question that we have to ask is, do we understand that we are on a constant rescue mission for people outside of this church? That our hearts break for the people in our schools and our friend groups, and we pray for them, and that we would have the guts to talk to them, to witness to them, exactly like you've called us to, because that's the most powerful thing we have. The very thing that moves history is our prayers. And the very thing that convicts hearts of those individuals outside of this room are our words. I pray that we would just be people who are devoted to both of those things. That we'd be devoted to prayer and in the practice of the presence of God and that we would also be people who are just unashamed and that we would go and without any regret, share the gospel, not in a creepy kind of way, not in a way that's disrespectful or without relationship. That we, The people we are talking to, we know, we love, we care about and the pressure's not on us. We're just talking about things that have happened to us with Jesus and that's it. I pray that we would take that to heart and we would actually do it. That maybe that's the push this week is just one conversation. That out of all the judgments of all the things that God's trying to do to change the minds of people, our words are the strongest. So I pray that you would move in us, that you would change our hearts and you would just give us a boldness like no other to go and reach people far from you. And that's the mission of our life. So Father, we thank you. We love you. And just want to pray. Amen.